Well, happy Easter, everybody. It's so great to have you as part of our celebration this morning. Thank you for choosing Springbrook to celebrate this wondrous occasion of recognizing Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. I love Richard's story about how he loved Easter egg hunts. I have uh, three boys, 15 and 16 and 18, and they've had many Easter egg hunts that my wife has supervised over the years. But now they just want the candy. They just want the candy. <laughs> I love my boys. Uh, they're high performers. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of parenting tip here about how I keep them uh, performing uh, so well. Every Sunday afternoon, I sit down with my boys, and I rate them and how they did this past week uh, on three things. I'll call them ABCs. Your attitude, your behavior, and your chores. And so I sit down and I look at their attitude, behavior, and chores, ABCs, and, and I give them an A, a B, or a C, or a D, or an F. And if they fail, well, they lose some of the privileges of being a son of mine. First of all, they can't sleep in their room. They have to sleep in the basement on the floor. Uh, they don't get the regular family meals. They get bread and water, and no one talks to them throughout the entire week. No entertainment. They're grounded. They can only go to school. It's amazing how well they performed that week as they get back into my good stead after that. Now, what do you think about my parenting style? Well, you're probably ready to call uh, DCFS right now. So we have a very abusive situation going on over at the Harrison household. Now, obviously, that's not how I parent. But, you know, the, the strange thing about it, though, is that some of you have a relationship with God and that's how you perceive how God views you it's all based upon your performance and some weeks you're doing real well and God loves you and he wants to serve you but other weeks yeah you're struggling with sin and you feel that God's kind of checked out on you now what kind of sick relationship do you have with God if that's how you think about it really I mean, is that a loving, heavenly Father? Now, how do I know this about people? Well, I've talked to hundreds of people. And I asked them, if you were to die tonight, do you think you'd go to heaven? And some people say, oh, yeah. And other people say, no way. <laughs> Most people just kind of think about it for a moment, and they say, well, I think, I hope, I've been a pretty good person. I haven't committed any of the major sins, and uh, people think I'm okay. I think I've got a pretty good shot. Hey, a pretty good shot is not good enough. I mean, who wants to live with that type of father, knowing that if you died, you're not sure that you would spend eternity with your father? That's not what this book teaches. Many people have a performance-based relationship with God. When this book teaches that we need to have a grace-based relationship with God. We see this truth in the common verse, John 3.16, very well known. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God wants to have a love relationship with you. He wants to spend every day with you. He wants you to pray to him. He wants to teach you things through the Bible. He wants to comfort you. He wants to empower you. He wants to help you in everything that's going on in your life. But there's a problem that we all have when we're born in our relationship with God, and that is that we're sinners. It all started out with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God had set this beautiful garden out, and He just said one thing, don't eat from the one tree. You can enjoy everything else, but don't touch that tree. And, of course, they ate from that tree, and that's when the world got really messed up because sin came into this world. And the sinful orientation that Adam and Eve chose was passed down through the generations. So you and I were born with a sinful orientation, a bent away from doing what God wanted us to do, uh, doing our own thing, not following God's will. That's our sinfulness. And the major problem here is that God is holy and righteous and just. And he can't have a relationship with people who are sinful and unrighteous and sinful in the way that they live. That's a real problem. But God wants to have a relationship with us. That's why he created us. So that's why he sent his son Jesus Christ to this earth. Now, why did he do that? Well, because, you see, there's a penalty for sin. The Bible is very clear about that. The penalty for sin is death, not just spiritual death, or excuse me, not just physical death, but spiritual death. That's me, that means eternity in hell separated from God. That's pretty serious. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, God doesn't want that. So that's why he put this rescue plan together in order that we might have a relationship with Him and spend eternity in heaven. So He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world, born to Mary, who was a virgin. Why was it important that she was a virgin? Well, because He couldn't inherit our sinful nature like the rest of us. So He was born of a virgin, conceived by the Spirit, and then He lived a perfect life. And that was important because if He had sinned, then He'd be guilty like the rest of us. But being the God-man, he lived a perfect life. And that put him into a, a particular situation where he could bear the penalty for our sin. That's what happened on the cross, what we talked about on Good Friday. The fact that Jesus Christ was on the cross for us. He not only physically suffered for us, but he spiritually suffered for us. Every sin that Dan Harrison has committed, past, present, and future, were upon Jesus Christ as he hung upon that cross. And it was upon, your sins were also upon him. And what he was doing is he was paying the penalty that you deserved. He was your substitute. He was your representative. And through Jesus Christ's suffering, 
and death, He paid the penalty for you. So you wouldn't have to experience eternity separated from God. And then, of course, He rose from the dead to prove that He was God and that He had victory over death. And that's what we're celebrating this morning. But that's the great news, is that He paid the penalty for you and I. And now all we have to do is go to God and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know what the penalty for my sin is, but I know that you paid that penalty. Jesus paid the penalty for me, and I received the gift of salvation. You know, we talk about Jesus Christ as Savior. We talk about salvation, a person saved. Why? Well, why do we use that word save and Savior so much? Well, because we're saved from the penalty of sin, which is eternal death. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's what we're talking about here. Is that everyone in this world is born condemned, but Jesus Christ came to die for them, to pay the penalty in order that all they have to do is receive it. All they have to do is say, I'm a sinner and I need you to rescue me. And God will do that. And then you can establish a relationship with Him. 1 Peter 3.18 talks about what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. For Christ died for sins once for all. He only needed to pay that penalty once. The righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous. Jesus Christ died for Dan Harrison, the unrighteous, to bring Dan Harrison to God. The reason Jesus died was in order that I might have a relationship with God. And when I was a young boy... I made that decision. I said, Jesus, I am under the penalty of sin. And I confess my sin, and I ask you to be my Savior. And at that point, I became a child of God. Wonderful, wonderful news we celebrate today. We see more of this in First Peter or excuse me, Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through ten. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now let's look at this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That's how a person comes into a grace-based relationship with God. Not a performance-based relationship, but a grace-based. What is grace? Well, grace is not getting what you deserve. We as sinners deserve a penalty. But God gives us grace. He says, I'm not going to give you that penalty. I read a story this past week about David Haggard, who was an umpire in a men's baseball association out in California. And the season hadn't started yet, and he happened to be going a little too fast down a particular roadway, and a policeman pulled him over. And went up to him, and, and David was just saying, Hey, listen, you know, I'm really sorry. Uh, I wasn't thinking, and uh, I've got a great driving record, and I don't want my insurance to go up. Please, just give me a warning. Don't give me a ticket. And uh, the policeman had no grace. He gave David what he deserved. He gave him a ticket. And so he went on, and... It just so happened that the uh, baseball season opened soon after that, and David was an umpire. 
and the first man to come up to bat was this particular policeman. <laughs> and they recognized each other. <laughs> and, and the policeman was kind of nervous, and he said, Well, yeah, how'd that uh, ticket thing work out for you? And David said, You better swing at every pitch. <laughs> no grace, man. You didn't give me grace. I'm not giving you grace. And friends, that's the type of world we live in. We're not used to grace. We don't typically give grace because people don't give us grace. So when God says, I want to give you grace, we says, hey, that, that doesn't make sense to me. But we need to understand it because that's the only way we can understand the gift of salvation, that's the nature of a gift, right? When somebody gives you a gift, you don't say, hey, what do I have to do for this? Uh, you, know, you just receive it. It's a gift. No strings attached, right? Well, that's the nature of a grace-based relationship. For it is by grace you get something you don't deserve. You have been saved through faith. Now, that's the key word there is faith. If you're going to come into a relationship with God, if He's going to be your Father, you're going to be part of the family of God, you need to believe that this book is the Word of God. This is His message to you. And you need to believe that this book says that if you come to God and say, I'm a sinner and I need your gift of salvation, that He is going to give it to you. Now, that takes faith. Faith is trusting in someone. When you got married to your spouse, if you are married, you put a lot of trust in them. I mean, you knew them, but you didn't know what they are going to be like in the future. You were trusting that they were going to care for you and that they were going to watch over you and meet your needs. You put trust in them. In the same way, we need to put trust in God. It's a step of faith. We don't know for sure, per se, but we believe, we have faith in God that He is going to follow through on what He says. That if I ask Jesus for the gift of salvation, that He'll give it to me. And people have such a tough time having faith in God. That's why he goes on to say, Paul writes, And this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. You see, that's where we all struggle. We want to be in control. Again, people feel that they would rather ride, or excuse me, they would rather drive a car than they would fly in an airplane, even though it's been proven over and over again that being in an airplane is much safer. We don't want to be in an airplane because we're not in control. We don't even know the pilot, <laughs> right? When we're in a car, we're in control. And we want to be in control. That's part of our sin nature. Uh, we want to be calling the shots. And, and really the issue is pride. The issue is pride. Is that we want to do it. That, that, that's the way that we live. That's the way we're wired. That's the way the world is. There are no free lunches. You've got to earn it. So when I say to somebody to become a child of God, all you have to do is go to God and confess your sin and ask for the gift of salvation. They say, that's way too easy. Anybody can do that. Yeah, that's the point. Right? 
But you say, I want to be special. I want to have a gold membership. I want to be better than other people. There's nothing special about that. You see, it's all about pride. If you're going to come to God, you need to humble yourselves and say, God, I don't have anything to offer you. I'm powerless. We see that in James. James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. You've got to say, God, I've got nothing. And when you come to God in a sense to negotiate your relationship, uh, there's many people who say, okay, God, I know that Jesus Christ died and that's great and everything. But you know what? I'd like to bring some things to the table. And let me tell you a little bit about my life. You know, I've been to church all my life and, uh, and I was confirmed and I, I did these things and I've been such a great citizen. Let me tell you all the people that I helped. God does not care because, again, you are sinful. You're powerless. You've got nothing to offer. The only way for you to become a believer is empty-handed. You, you come to God and say, God, I've got nothing. I am powerless. I'm a sinner. I'm condemned. And I need your gift of salvation. I put my trust in you. I want a grace-based relationship with you. Not a performance-based relationship because I know that's not how I can come into relationship uh, with you. That's so important for us to understand because we get caught up in this performance orientation so easily. We need to be like a little child. We see in Mark 10.15. Mark 10.15, it says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Don't you love kids? They're so trusting. They believe you as a parent. They believe that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. And that's why we just need to give ourselves totally to God and say, God, I trust fully in you, in what you say, in what you have promised in my life. Now, now some people will say, no, wait a second, Dan. Okay, you're saying good works don't matter. They don't matter to God. Well, hey, doesn't it talk about good works in Scripture? Well, yeah, it does. In this passage we've been studying, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we look here. At the next verse, and it talks about good works. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So once you become part of the family of God, that's what your life is about. It's doing good works because you love God. It's like when you marry a person, you're not obligated by law to care for them and serve them and take care of them, but you want to do it because you love them. So once you become a believer, once you put your faith in God, you're just going to naturally want to do good works for Him, and that's His plan for your life. But again, the good works do not save you. They're just a natural byproduct of your relationship with Him. Back in August last year, we all remember a Chilean mining accident. We see a diagram here. 33 men buried underneath the ground. You see the squiggly line on the left side there? That's how they got down to that particular depth. But there they were, down in that emergency shelter for these types 
of events. And people on the surface thought, well, they could be alive, but they weren't sure they were alive. And it was very captivating. The whole world watched as we wondered about these 33 miners who were down in this emergency shelter. Well, they sent probes down to see if they could locate the miners. And they sent one probe down, and after 17 days, one of these probes actually hit the shelter, and they assigned, they uh, put a note on the probe that said, we are all safe in the shelter, all 33. And it came up, and then the news went public, and people were overjoyed to know that these men were alive after 17 days. But again, now we had a whole new problem. How are you going to rescue these men? So the whole country of Chile, of course, brought all its resources to this project, and NASA brought its expertise and all types of corporations, and anybody who could help did help. It was a global rescue project to save these particular men. And it took another 52 days, 69 days, these guys were buried underground. We see some pictures here. There's a picture of these guys. Once they're able to get a camera down there. Then they put a rescue capsule together. There you see it uh, within the mine. Here we see it coming out of the mine. And then we see the joy of these guys who are coming. How many watched that live? They watch that live. I watched it live with my wife. And it was tremendous to see these guys after 69 days. What a miracle that God had done to these people to save these men. Now again, these men were powerless. They had no power to get out of that room that was buried underground. They did their best to stay alive. That's an amazing story in itself. But they were powerless. They couldn't do anything. It was all about the people on the surface that were working to save them. Now, just imagine that capsule coming down. And they're saying, okay, you're next. And the person would say, well, let me think about this a little more. Maybe there's some way I could figure out how to get out of here. Now, that'd be ludicrous, right? But I tell you, well, that, that's what a lot of people think. They think, well, maybe there's another way to God. Maybe I don't have to go through Jesus Christ. Maybe I don't have to humble myself before Him. Friends, all of us were born into that emergency shelter. We were born into a room deep beneath the ground. And we were powerless to help ourselves. And we can think of all these things that we can do to try to Again, reach the surface. But there's only one person who can save us. And that's Jesus Christ. And we only have one choice. And that's to follow Him. And, and when you think about it, what an, <laughs> you think about this incredible rescue operation to save these men. But think about what God did to save us. God became one of us. God became one of His creations 
Jesus lived on this earth. He suffered in so many different ways. And then He died for us. And He rose again. Now that's an incredible rescue mission, isn't it? And it's so prideful for us to come to God and say, God, I know you had this incredible rescue plan and everything, but, you know, let me show you what I can offer you. <laughs> All right? Here are some good works. Hey, forget it. All you need to do is say, God, I am powerless. I can do nothing for myself. And until you come to that point, you don't have the gift of salvation. You know, there might be some of you here who were born in the church. <laughs> you were baptized in the church. You were confirmed in the church. You've attended church all your life. People believe you're a godly person. You've done good things. You're a good person. But you're still not part of the family of God. Because you have bought into what other churches have taught. And there are a lot of liberal churches that teach this. That if you're good enough, you can have a relationship with God. Well, that's a performance-based relationship. This book teaches a grace-based relationship. In fact, we have one of our key leaders here. His name is Al Dicci, And he was actually leading a church when they didn't have a pastor and he wasn't a believer because they were teaching a performance-based orientation. He thought that everything was good, just like Richard thought everything was good, but they didn't know the only way to come to God is by humbling yourself, saying, God, I got nothing, and I want to accept this free gift of salvation. So how do you do it? How do you come into personal relationship with Jesus Christ? When we look in Romans 10.9, it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's as simple as that. Jesus is Lord. Jesus died for me. Jesus paid the penalty. And believe in the heart that God raised him from the dead. That's what we're celebrating today. Yeah, I mean, if he's dead, he's just like any other guy. But he was God. He rose again from the dead. You will be saved. So let me show you a prayer here. If you're kind of saying, wow, this is kind of new to me. I, I never thought about it in this way. You know, how do I know that I'm a child of God? How do I get out this performance orientation? How do I get on the grace-based plan? How do I have a grace-based relationship with God? Getting something that I don't deserve, the gift of salvation. Well, this is not in the Bible, but it contains what the Bible has to say about establishing a relationship with God. It says, Lord Jesus, I want to know you personally. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I ask forgiveness for my sins and open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. I no longer trust in my good works to gain a relationship with you. That's the key statement there. I know now it is a free gift of your grace. Thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me eternal life. Take control of my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Now, if you feel so led, I'm going to say this prayer and you can pray it silently. If you want the change from a performance orientation to a grace-based orientation with God. Let's bow our heads. 
Lord Jesus, I want to know you personally. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I ask forgiveness for my sins and open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. I no longer trust in my good works to gain a relationship with you. I know now it is a free gift of your grace. Thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me eternal life. Take control of my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Dear Lord, I rejoice with those who realize this morning that it's not about performance. It's not about good works. It's only by humbling ourselves before you and receiving this wonderful free gift that God has given us. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, help these people to rejoice. I'll always reflect, reflect on Easter 2011 and the wondrous work that you did that day when they received the free gift of salvation in Christ's name. If you could take out uh, this particular message insert, this great...